Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Tonight, we're pleased to have Dr. Bill um, talk about this topic, which will be understanding visual milestones and how vision develops. Dr. Bill Takeshita is a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry and the College of Optometrists in Vision Development, and Dr. Takeshita serves as Consulting Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute and has lectured extensively across the country on topics of pediatric eye conditions and low vision rehabilitation. Um, Dr. Bill um, has several uh, other uh, accomplishments that we won't have time to go into, but I would love to. One, one day we'll have to do that. But anyway, thank you so much for being our, our, um, our speaker tonight, Dr. Bill. Oh, thank you very much, Sue. I want to thank you and Braille Institute and Ayers LA and Mr. Joe Yurka for recording this. You know, it, it, it's so nice that every month you guys take the time to allow us to put on this type of a seminar and that you keep it on your websites. So tonight's program is one that I think is perhaps one of the most important lectures that a, a teacher a therapist, and a parent could ever hear. You know, we have a lot of other lectures that we have done, but I think tonight's is actually the most important one to understand. And we're talking about the development of vision. Now, last month, if you weren't with us, we did talk about the anatomy of the eye and how the eye sends information to the brain and how the brain processes that information to allow us to see. And that lecture really explains something that's very, very important, and that is the fact that vision takes place in the brain, and it does not take place in the eye. And this is something that's very, very important, because many people are not aware that vision takes place in the brain. And when we think about what we know about the brain nowadays, we know that the brain has the ability to grow and to develop. For example, there are situations where a person may suffer from a head injury. Let's say that a child is playing outside and somebody is swinging a baseball bat and hits that little baby in the head with a baseball bat. Well, that baby may immediately not be able to walk, that baby may not be able to swallow properly, may not be able to talk. But with therapy, those different regions of the brain can regain function, and these are people who are able to do these things again. Now, I know this personally because of the fact that my brother, I have a brother who is two years older than I, and he was just an amazing child. He was the best athlete around. He was a great student. He was able to do everything just so easily, but he unfortunately got hit in the head with a hammer. And after he got hit in the head with a hammer, he later then began to have seizures and was diagnosed with epilepsy. And he would have these seizures at really any time, but his seizures were a little bit different. He didn't fall on the floor and shake, but he would just stand there, and he was paralyzed. And then he would turn blue, and then he would fall down, and he was unconscious. But in his particular case, it got to the point where, with different types of therapies, he then learned to use those regions of the brain, and he then learned to be able to play sports again. And he graduated from college. He was able to play sports. He was never as good as he used to be, but he was still able to do it. And it shows that the brain can benefit from this type of therapy. So for children who have vision problems, especially children who have delayed visual maturation, cortical vision impairment, or other types of conditions that have affected the brain, these children at a very young age may appear to be almost blind, where they cannot see anything. But within a period of time of receiving vision stimulation, 
the therapists and the doctors will recommend activities that will help to stimulate those regions of the brain and these children's vision, it does improve. Now, I'm not saying that every child's vision becomes perfect, but we see that the majority of the children's vision does improve. Now, many of you may read books, or maybe you're looking for books for your library, and there's a Dr. Christine Roman Lancy, and she is an amazing, amazing person where she has studied the development of vision and how can these kinds of exercises and stimulation improve the vision of children as well as adults who have suffered from low vision. And in her study and in her book, she reports that over 90% of the people who receive this kind of vision services will develop high levels of vision. Now, that is remarkable. That is absolutely remarkable. Her husband is actually a neurologist, and this is why I say that is so remarkable, because many times the different types of treatments that are provided by non-doctors, provided by teachers and therapists, many times the medical profession, they do not agree with it. I know that back in the 1980s, when I was still in eye doctor school, one of the things that many people stated is that if a child has blurred vision in one or both eyes that is caused by the brain, a lot of doctors said that nothing could be done to improve this. But vision therapists would perform exercises, and these are very easy exercises. They would put a patch over one eye of the child, and they would start playing games. They would use different colored lights, or they would use stamps, or they play the game Candyland, or they play different card games. They let the kids watch TV with one eye. They would do all of these types of things, and before long, the vision of these kids improved. And this is what's so amazing because many of the doctors said these exercises would never work. But in fact, today, if a child has blurred vision in one or both eyes, and it's due to a misfunction of the brain, it can be improved with vision therapy. And this particular type of vision therapy is called amblyopia therapy. A-M-B-L-Y-O-P-I-A therapy. So what we do know today is that there's really excellent, excellent resources that do describe how this type of vision stimulation and vision therapy could be beneficial. You could look for the book by Dr. Christine Roman Lancy. You could also go to the College of Optometrists and Vision Development's website. That's www.cov, as in vision, D, as in development. Again, www.covd. Dot org, the website, and they can give you different types of information and references. And we also now know that many, many teachers for the visually impaired and many occupational therapists also are very familiar with doing vision stimulation. The other thing is that the Southern California Cortical Vision Therapy Study Group that Sue and I are part of we are currently putting together a booklet that has activities, and soon we hope that we'll have videos to show you how to do these kinds of activities. So the first thing I just want to talk about is what are the visual skills that a child will possess? And these particular types of visual skills are all visual skills that change and they develop with time. You know, many people think that a newborn baby has perfect vision. I know I thought that for many, many years. I remember when my daughter was born. This was my first child. I, I thought, wow, you know, it's amazing how these babies have perfect vision. But in reality, a newborn baby does not have perfect vision. A newborn baby's eyes 
really only could focus at a distance of about 8 to 16 inches away. So if you were to have your face much further than that, your baby probably wouldn't see your face very clearly. But if you get within 8 to 16 inches, your child is able to see that. Number two, the newborn child does not have color vision. And this is something that's really interesting because many parents, when they're expecting a baby, they buy all of these colorful toys and then they hang these different toys or different designs up on the wall next to the ceiling. So they do two things that's wrong. They're using colors and they're putting it at a distance that the child can't focus at. Children do not develop color vision usually until they're much older. And this is closer towards the age of 12 to 24 months that the vision of color is really developing. But at birth or the first month of life, the child really only sees black and white. Number three, when a child is born, the child really does not have the ability to control the muscles of the eyes very well. There are six muscles on the outside of each eye, and those muscles are supposed to allow the eyes to follow a moving object or to scan, to shift quickly from one target to another. But those particular muscles really don't work very well when the child is born. And it isn't until the child is maybe three to four months of age that these types of eye movements develop. And if we think that the child is able to follow a toy or follow your face, and we think that that child is ready to read, absolutely not. The ability to move the eyes from left to right in a reading pattern is a very, very difficult skill. And we see that there are many children who are being introduced to reading and they cannot move their eyes from left to right in a reading pattern. There are tests that we can use that don't use words, but they may use a symbol or a color or a number, and we ask the child to say those from left to right in a reading pattern. And we measure how many errors that they make or how fast can they do that. We could see the student who is very weak. And these are very, very, very frequently the children who have reading problems. Some of them have even been diagnosed with dyslexia when their actual difficulty with reading is their eye movement. The next thing when we look at a baby is the newborn baby's eyes also do not have the ability to work together. The newborn baby's eyes often might cross. Other times they might drift outward. And when both eyes are not pointing at the same object, the child sees double vision. Can you imagine how confusing that would be to a newborn baby where you see mom's face and now you see two of them? They do not have that ability to control that. And it isn't until maybe six months of age that they start to have some control, but it really isn't until 12 months of age that they really should be able to control the alignment of the eyes. So during that time, the first year of life, when the eyes are not coordinating together, the kids may see double vision. They have poor depth perception because they're seeing double vision. And also, the fact that they have poor depth perception, it also affects their eye-hand coordination, and it also affects their ability to crawl and to balance. So we could see that when we're just looking only at some of these very, very basic things of the eyes, we could see how these vision problems can affect so many other parts of overall development the child who has the poor eye muscle control. These kids may not reach for food properly. They may not crawl. These kids may not want to look at your face because they're seeing double vision. Another skill that really develops very significantly during the first year of life is the ability to shift the focus from that 8 to 16 inches all the way across the room. 
You see, there's a muscle in the eye called the ciliary muscle, and the brain must learn to control how to relax that muscle and how to focus that muscle. And that is how the child then learns to see clearly at different distances. So all of these different visual skills that we're talking about as just the most basic visual skills, these are visual skills that do need to be developed in all children. And when a parent is playing with a child, the child has a better opportunity to develop these visual skills. But children who do not receive that type of play, such as children who are in Romanian orphanages and such, these kids often have very poor visual skills, even though that their eyes are perfectly healthy. So in the 1980s, there was a time that many Romanian children would come to the United States. They were being adopted, and we would see these children. They are now six and seven and eight years of age, and we could look at their eyes, and we could tell that their eyes are perfectly healthy, but they couldn't do things. They weren't able to shift their eyes to focus on the chalkboard to identify pictures and numbers and letters. When we wanted them to try to read and to move their eyes from left to right across the page, they couldn't do it. They would have to move their head, and they would lose their place. When we asked them to do other, more complicated skills, such as catching a ball. They couldn't catch a ball. They did not have the depth perception. They had difficulty walking up and down steps and curbs. They also had what's called very reduced visual perception skills. Now, the visual perception skills, this is what is developing in the brain. When a child looks at something, the child actually has to be able to process that information and make certain types of understandings about what he or she sees. So, for example, if a child is looking at her mother's face, we know that early on, during the first few months of life, the child learns to identify the mother's face as compared to another person's face. As a child grows older, the child also learns to identify a shape such as a circle, and they could differentiate a circle from a square, or they could differentiate a square from a triangle, and they can also name and identify colors. Or if we were to hide a toy within a bunch of other toys, they would be able to find that toy that's hiding within all those other toys. They would be able to remember things that they have seen before. They could see Mickey Mouse, and they remember that they saw that at Disneyland. These are visual perception skills that take place in the brain. And when children do not receive proper stimulation or proper intervention, or if a child has suffered from delayed visual maturation or cortical vision impairment, or the child has just fallen and hit his or her head, these things can affect the visual perception. And when a child has these types of visual perception problems, they often have significant difficulties in school. And we're talking about very, very significant difficulties. Let me tell you a story about, I have a daughter. Many of you might know my daughter. My daughter, her name is Jamie, and she's an educational therapist. And she initially went to UCLA because she wanted to become a teacher. But after going to the schools and talking to teachers and realizing that all of her teachers from high school are no longer at that school anymore, she realized that teaching might be something that she can't really handle. So she started to do educational therapy. And she has a group of kids that she works with individually. Now, one girl, this girl, she's a very nice girl. If you met her, you would just say, my gosh, this is a beautiful girl. And she is very friendly, and she's very happy, and she's about 12 years old. 
Now, the case happens to be that she was born in China, and her parents came from America to adopt her in China. But as she started going through school here, they realized that she had some difficulties. She was having difficulty learning the numbers and the letters. And at the current time, she's in seventh grade, and she's having significant difficulty with reading. Well, one of the things that we had suggested is that we suggested that she receive a vision exam and a visual perception examination. Now, the vision examination, the testing of her eyes, actually found that her eyes are healthy. But when we measured how can she move her eyes from left to right in a reading pattern, she scored at lower than the first percentile. That means 99% of all kids her age move their eyes better, faster, and more accurately than she does when they read. We also found that that she has an eye coordination problem. Her eyes look perfectly straight when you look at her, but when she's reading a book, she is not able to cross her eyes, and that causes a lot of eye fatigue and some double vision. We then did the third part, which is the visual perception test. There's a test that could be done starting at the age of four years of age. It's called the Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R, test of visual perception. This girl scored lower than the first percentile on every subtest, every single one. And because her vision is so poor, we can now understand why she has difficulties. When she sees letters, she confuses letters all the time. When she's trying to copy from the board, she loses her place because she has really poor, what we call, figure ground discrimination. Meaning that hidden pictures, or if there's words on the chalkboard, she doesn't know which one is the word she's supposed to look at and copy. She has very, very poor visual memory skills. As a result, when she sees a lot of people, she often forgets who they are or if I have seen them before. She also has difficulty in what we call visual organization. If you were to give her three blocks, a circle, a square and a triangle, and you make a picture with those blocks, and she uses her same blocks to make the same picture, she cannot do it. She could only replicate a pattern of two blocks. So you could understand that even if you're trying to teach her how to print, she can't print, she cannot draw, she cannot build models, she doesn't understand arithmetic because she can't visualize three or four or five blocks to add or to count. So all of this really goes to show that within vision, we have many, many different visual skills. And all of these vision skills develop at different rates for different children. And these skills continue to develop usually up until the age of about 18 years of age. So when we see that a child, maybe a child as young as 12 months of age has any of these types of visual problems, we now know that these types of vision problems could affect whether or not this child makes eye contact. You know, maybe this child sees double vision and she doesn't want to look at your face because it's scary to see double vision. The vision could affect her eye-hand coordination. Maybe that's why your child's knocking over her cup of milk every morning. The child may have very poor depth perception. That's why this child is poor at sports. Or maybe the child falls down the stairs all the time. And as you're then starting to work on academics, when the child is four or five years of age, this child may have visual perception problems, which explains why this child can't build a model, why this child has difficulty drawing or printing. So 
when the child receives this type of a functional vision assessment, we're going to get an understanding of what are the visual skills that the child is good at and what are the skills that the child is weak at. And once we find out all of this information, we could share this information with the school, with the therapist, everybody who's going to be working with these children, and we could then develop a vision treatment type of program. Now, what are some of the first things that we want to work with with a very, very young child? When a child is younger than three years of age, we really want to develop the child's ability to see objects that you're showing the child. You know, there's many kids who have delayed visual maturation or cortical vision impairment, and they really don't look at anything. I'll turn on a video, they don't look at the video. I'll turn on the iPhone, they don't look at that. I turn off all the lights and I have blinking and flashing lights and they don't do that. But eventually, we will usually find that there's certain things that they're very interested in. As a general rule, children who are very young are usually going to be more interested in looking at black and white patterns, more than looking at pastels and lightly colored things. So number one, we want to use black and white objects. Number two, we want to remember to present those objects at the child's visual developmental distance. That usually means that you want to present it at the distance of the child's arm's reach. Number three, you also want to position the child so that the child is comfortable. You know, there's some kids whose muscles are very tight, other children whose muscles are very loose, like they have hypotonia. Well, we want to position the child in a position where he or she is very comfortable. If we try to make a child with hypotonia sit and then look, we're trying to ask the child to do too many things at one time. So let's let the child lay down, and then let's bring those toys at that distance. We'll use the black and white. And the next thing is most young children prefer to look at things that are moving and changing. If you simply get a black and white pattern and you hold it right in front of the child's face, the child usually is not interested in that at all. But some of the things that we'll do is that we will make a toy. We might use Quaker Oats oatmeal container and we'll put a black and white piece of paper around there so we got all these stripes and then we could spin it and we spin it from behind their ear just until it comes into the view of their side vision. And then we go to the other side very quickly and do the same thing and put it on the other side again. When we do that, we often will notice that the child's aware of, what's that? What's there? And they, they will try to turn their head and turn their eyes to look at that. We may also then put in bells inside that oatmeal container. So as the drum spins, it makes these sounds. And the child's wondering, what, where's the sound coming from? Is that coming from that drum? And in some cases, they may reach for it. Or we might push the drum right up against the child's hands so the child then becomes interested in using the hands. We also will do other things. We might do that activity with the drum for one minute, and then we'll give the child a break, and then we might do it again, and we might change the size of the stripes on the drum. Or maybe we have pillows around the house that are black and white. We might use some of those things. We might even go ahead and take some of the books that you might have. These are children's books, but with the black and white, they can't read the words, but they might be very interested in that. Now, as time goes on, your doctor and your therapist is going to make other suggestions. Now that we've gained the interest of your child to look at this, we then now want to change the distance. 
we're going to move it closer and farther and closer and farther, all at the same time, so that the muscle inside the eye learns to relax, to focus further, and to contract and pull to focus closer. And then we move it to a different distance and far and near, far and near. And this is something that we could then begin to measure. Maybe the child is now focusing on these stripes from a distance of three feet. And then the following week, we extend it to four feet. Another thing that we'll do is we'll then begin to change the different types of toys that we use to stimulate the vision. In some cases, we might use lights. And we get little flashlights, and we put little colored acetate filters on top of it. So we might have a red light, a green light, a blue light. Or you might find other toys that has different colored lights. But children often will really like to look at these types of lights. When you find that your child is beginning to look at these lights, and if your child enjoys eating or drinking food, we then say, use these lights when you're feeding your child. Because when your child then sees that light, and then they know that they later are going to get food from it, it really helps them to understand how to use their vision to know that it's time to eat or how to use their vision to find food. You could also do things where you're going to go just to the toy store. You might walk around Walmart or Toys R Us, and you just may find, if you walk through there very slowly, there's certain things that your child might be very interested in. How do you know this? A lot of times you could watch. Watch the eyelids. Sometimes the eyes lids may open. Other times you may see the pupils of the eyes are starting to focus. Other times that they're turning their head. You could even monitor their breathing. Sometimes if they see something that excites them, they start to breathe faster. Or you might even find that sometimes, you know, their heart is pumping a little bit faster. So you could watch the behavior of a child to find out what are some of those things that they like. Now, as they start to get older, again... Your, your doctor and your therapist and your teacher are going to help to guide you with this. For example, if you're a client of the Braille Institute infant program, Sue and her staff will guide you through this. And again, we have uh, a booklet and videos that we're producing to show you how to do these kinds of activities. But let's say we're now at a point where your child is maybe uh, starting to walk. Now, this is a major thing. If your child is beginning to walk, we want to really see how is your child using vision to judge how close or how far something is. So we have different activities. We use sometimes a twister. You might remember that uh, Milton Bradley game, and it's a, a plastic mat with different colored circles. Well, we might use that, and we might cut out each of those circles and we might put those circles on the floor in your home and let your child walk and pick up each of these colored circles. Other times, as, as their mobility is getting better, we may have them hop from one circle to the next to see how can they balance using both feet. We may later do it outside where we're playing things such as hopscotch or even jump rope. But these are things that will all develop their depth perception and improve their mobility. We could then start to introduce other things such as sports. You might start off with a large beach volleyball and go ahead and just roll it to them and let them roll it back. And you roll it back to them so they begin to develop the depth perception. But then pretty soon you move it faster and you might move it to a different location so that they have to move their body and their hands in order to catch it. As they improve with that, we could go to smaller objects, and we could play catch with a Nerf ball, or we might even do video games and play the game of Pong or something like that. We also are then going to recommend close to the age of four years of age that we start to work on the visual perception activities. 
And this is something that really is a lot of fun. There are these special types of blocks that are called tangram blocks. You spell that T-A-N-G-R-A-M blocks. And you could buy these at educational stores. And I recommend you buy two sets. I think that each set is like $2 or so. They're very affordable. But in this set, there are seven different shaped blocks. So you might buy the blue set of blocks for you and the red set of blocks for your child. And you start playing games where you put a block down on the table and you have your child look through all of his or her blocks, find the same block, and stack it on top of the block that you put. As your child is able to master that, then you add two blocks, and then three blocks, and four blocks. And once you get to the point that your child could do all of those blocks, then you can then ask your child to make the pattern next to yours. By asking your child to make it next to yours, that's really a much more complicated step. But this is a way to develop your child's ability to understand that parts can be assembled to make the final product. And there are booklets for these tangram blocks, so you can make things like a house or a tree or a car. And then the kids start to realize, my gosh, I made this picture with just these weird shapes? That's amazing. Once a child has developed that particular level of skill, we then want to go ahead and introduce a child to uh, drawing and printing and so on and so forth. We also might use those same blocks to develop the child's memory. And how can we do that? You might take two blocks and let's say you make a picture and you don't let your child see you as you're making that picture. And then after you have finished that picture, you remove your box so your child could see the pattern you made, and then you cover it back up again, and then your child has to remember, wow, what did mom have there? And your child then has to do it. It is a great way to effectively develop visual memory skills. So there's many, many visual perception skills that can be developed this way. We also like to teach parents and therapists to do a lot of work using hidden pictures. And you might remember, you know, Where's Waldo and I Spy books and all sorts of things where there's a whole bunch of things there and you have to find maybe just the marble. And it begins where there might be three other things there and the child just has to find the marble. But as the child improves, there may later be 20 things on that picture and the child has to find that marble. You could do the same sort of activity if you don't have those books by just finding things in your home. You could get a paper clip, different coins, pencil erasers, anything that you find that's kind of small, and then you could ask your child, okay, we got all these things in this box here, and can you find a paper clip? And we're going to see how quickly can your child find that particular type of paper clip. So these are just some examples of the different types of activities that we have used for many, many years to develop vision. And it's very, very interesting that the development of these visual skills play a very important role as long as a child has vision. If the child is totally blind, we often will recommend different types of activities where the child will only use his or her sense of touch. In other words, for a child to be able to feel your blocks and to know what blocks you chose and build the same pattern, that is a very, very important skill for the blind child to learn. And at the annual meeting at the Braille Institute last week, I was invited to this event. Sue Strafasi had one of the students that they had worked with, and this young man is doing amazingly well. He has received a full scholarship to Cal State Fullerton to become a computer 
science programmer. And I believe he is totally blind or very near totally blind. Mm -hmm. But with so many of these things that he learned at the Braille Institute as a younger child, he was able to use these skills even as a person who is blind. So what I mean by this is that for many of you who don't know me, I'm an eye doctor, and I was an eye doctor for 18 years, but I then developed an eye disease when I was about 43 years old. And six years later, I became totally blind. Today, I am totally blind, and I don't see anything. But I'm very, very active. I could do pretty much everything that I need to do. You know, I'm able to dress myself, I cook myself, I clean the house by myself, I have jobs, I work on the computer, I'm I'm beginning to read and write Braille better, but I'm very, very capable of using the computer with the special programs that I have. But when people ask me, hey, how do you how do you succeed? How are you able to do these things when you're totally blind? One of the things that I'll tell you is that I often use my vision. When I feel something, let's say like the other day, we had a problem with one of our cars, and I could feel air coming out of a, out of a hose. When I'm feeling in the car, as I'm feeling all of these parts, I could picture it in my mind. So even though I can't see it, I could feel the shape of these parts, and I'm able to identify what these parts are and what was wrong. So even a person who is totally blind can learn to picture things in their mind by just what they feel. And I'm certain all of you would be able to do that too. You know, if you all close your eyes right now, and if I were to hand you something that is a triangular-shaped item, and it's about 10 inches long, and it's flexible, it's hot, it smells like cheese and tomato sauce and pepperoni, you would be able to visualize a slice of pizza, wouldn't you? Even though your eyes are closed, is because... What your senses provide you with the sense of touch and smell, it allows you to create a picture. And when I have spoken to people who are even totally blind for their whole lives, they often tell me that they do visualize these things in their mind, even though they have never seen. So it's a very, very powerful skill. So all in all, what I'm telling you is that the brain has this capability of making new connections. And if you have suffered from a head injury, or maybe you were born and you weren't breathing and parts of the brain died, it really doesn't matter. Because there are so many ways that the brain can create new connections from one part of the brain to the other part of the brain. And this is why people who have suffered from stroke and are not able to walk, they're able to walk after physical therapy. And people who have suffered from a car accident and they cannot talk, they then later learn to talk after having physical and speech therapy. And for many, many children who may have problems due to cortical vision impairment, retinopathy of prematurity, many other types of conditions with the vision stimulation, the vision development program, their vision can develop. So at this time, I'm going to go ahead and open it up to questions. And if any of you has questions, go ahead and unmute your phone by pressing star 6 and ask uh, Sue Strafasi and myself a question. And I also want to inform you that these podcasts, this podcast is going to be available at the Braille Institute website. That's www.braille.com institute.org and also it's going to be available at airsla that's www.a 
questions, Sue. Sure. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Bo. That was great. I know um, we always learn so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Does anybody have any questions? So I have a question? Yes, please. Go right ahead. Thank you. So um, in the past, I had had a hemorrhage in my brain. So, uh, you know, like bleed, kind of like aneurysm. But, you know, I went down in hospital for two months in ICU. I was very, very, you know, critical condition. And then I survived. I can drive now. I can, you know, speak. Yeah, and just, you know, uh, it's crazy. People are saying that they don't even look at me, that, you know, have some um, problems, but, you know, uh, I'm a survivor. I'm a big survivor, and I'm really glad that, you know, God gave me the chance to, you know, to do other stuff. So my daughter, looking at my daughter, and I know that she is, you know, with uh, some... um, with a protest like today, for example, I was living and I put next to her, um, like, iPod so she can look at the picture, you know, like, um, yeah. button, and she's, like, you know, looking at it and then turn right, you know, like, she cannot look at it, like, uh, focused, but, you know, she was uh, very interested, and then when I came back, so minutes later. She was looking somewhere else, just not on this, you know, picture. It just was like, wow, I guess she was too tired to mm-hmm. um, um, yes, look at it. But, well, with children, first of all, I just want to say I'm very happy for you, my goodness. And mm-hmm. you're an example. You you had hydrocephalus in the brain, and you were very, very sick and your vision came back, and you're doing very, very well. Now, no, your no, daughter... I, I, no, I didn't have a problem with the vision. My vision is good with the speech. No, it's okay. I mean, I'm still talking, <laughs> so that's good. Um, yeah, it, it's not um, no problem with speech. That's why I'm driving right now, you know, because I didn't have any problems yes. with the vision. So, um, yes. I got this. Yeah, I mean, well, but, you know. It I'm sounds glad. like it sounds like your speech is improving too. Then is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And I, I was, w- yeah, I was 22 years old when it happened. Yeah. Wow. But I would like to tell you also, there's many patients that we have had who have been injured and they suffer from hydrocephalus, where there's water in the brain. You know, some okay. people they go totally blind from this condition. But it is something that if it's diagnosed and it's then treated, the therapy can improve the vision. Yes. Now, getting to your daughter then, your daughter has a vision problem, and when you showed her the iPad, she was able to look at it, but just for a short period of time. Even uh, like a couple of days ago, um, we were, you know, I like to... Um, like I, I like to do a YouTube, and it was uh, you know in Russian because I would like you to learn Russian as well. So in Russian there was some cartoons, and I just focused your vision uh, to the cartoons, and she uh, she was looking at it for for like five seven seconds. Look at it, and then she just you know uh, looking on a right or on the left because it's just too much for her. But then looking back now it's just, it just interesting she's yes now the thing is that's very good you're doing this and like for most people like for you or for your friend or for your daughter they won't want to look at that same picture forever yeah if you change the picture every five seconds then they may be interested in that next picture mm-hmm. and also i recommend that you move your ipad two different locations, move it slightly to the left, move it up, move it down, move it closer, move it further, so it then becomes a good game. And the last thing I would say is to turn off the lights in the room when you do this. Mm-hmm. That will help your your child to focus. But very, very good. Thank you. And then, yeah, and then one month ago, 
I turn on the lights and I turn on uh, the cartoons on a TV, like big TV, and there was different, you know, the cartoon, different, like blue, yellow, you know, uh, cartoon, you know, hero. And my daughter was like looking at the different um, colors, and she was like, "Wow, you know, just oh, that's this, yeah, that's very good, yeah." So it shows you your daughter is developing color vision, just yeah. like we said. So that is very, very, very good, very good. Yeah, because um, we uh, we went to see a doctor, um, doctor, um, who. Uh, that his first name, oh, Irene, to Dresden, and she said that, uh, you know, like, she looked at, at my daughter's eye, and everything is good, you know, like the eye, stuff, you know, yes. inside, and she said it's probably there is a connection between brain and eye. That's why, you know, she can see, um, just it's developing slowly, but, you know, it's, you know, de- developing Yes, so there's many, many children where the eyes are healthy, but the brain is not processing normally, and that could either be delayed visual maturation or cortical vision impairment, and with these activities, uh, we find that it's very helpful. So thank you for your questions. Let me see if others have questions out here. Okay, does anybody else have a question? Does anybody else have a question that you'd like to ask, or are you very, very comfortable with how to explain vision stimulation and how to perform it? Okay, very good. Well, Sue, if you could uh, give them the one bit of information as to if they are interested in receiving our information regarding the activities, we could give them the information how to get in touch with us. Um, sure. Um that we have a um, the, the Southern California Consortium um, on Southern California Cortical Visual Impairment um, Consortium that you and I invest on. Several of the people on the Birth to Five Vision Network here in Southern California are also participating in. Um, you can uh, that information can be is available um, at, through my my email address for sure. And then I think also it can be avail- still access accessible um, on uh, CPS. Um, but I also think we're going to be having it shortly. It will be up on the Birth to Five Vision Network um, webpage, and I just have to verify that to make sure we're giving you the right information. But in the meantime, you can you can just email me at um, uh, s at brailleinstitute.org, and I'd be happy to get that to you. Um, but we'll be back. We'll be back in touch next soon with more information about that. Okay, great. And what are we going to talk about next month? Next month, we will be continuing on with visual processing, which is an important factor for learning, uh, which will be uh, in November, on November the 8th, which happens to be election night, so we have to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you very much, everybody, for attending. And please uh, tell other colleagues and parents and friends about this uh, podcast so that we hope that you you will be able to share it with them. So thank you very much, Sue, and thank you very much, Joe, for recording. Good night, everybody. Thank you.